0: There are some jobs you can uh, walk into without really trying. Uh, my first job when I was around 15 or so was the typical first job. It was as a paperboy. And uh, the news agent that I worked for wanted to know whether I could turn up on time. Could I carry a bag full of newspapers on my shoulder? And uh, was I willing to work below minimum wage? Uh, and I was yes to all three of those. so I was hired. Uh, But there are other jobs which have impossibly high expectations. I heard of one uh, tech company this week that wanted the applicant uh, to have five years experience of using a certain (coughs) programme. Sounds fair enough, doesn't it? Um, But pretty difficult to attain considering the programme had only been around for three years. So uh, we're in the letter to Titus once again. And last week we saw how much trust Paul had in Titus. Uh, this was uh, someone he saw as a sort of firefighter, a troubleshooter. And Paul had confidence that Titus's temperament and his love for the Lord equipped him perfectly for these uh, situations that he sent them into. And uh, the problem being in uh, Crete that there was this great divide between what the people Uh, said that they believed and what they were doing. And the knowledge of the truth which the people had was not resulting in godliness. So what is the answer to this predicament? Well, Paul gives him this clear instruction in verse 5, and that's why I started talking to you about job qualifications. This is what uh, Paul says in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Uh, We can make the same observation here as Paul uh, talks about order. Uh, We can make the same observation that we we made last Sunday night when we looked at God's character in creation. Uh, God is a God of order, not chaos. We see that God supports strategy and organisation. The way in which Titus is going to be able to bring about order and governance to the churches in Crete is not through a sort of dictatorship and bringing all of the Christians there and future Christians under his rule, as tempting as that may have been. Uh, There seem to be uh, churches that have already been established in Crete and yet there is a lack of faithful teachers. And the health of a, of a church is often a reflection of the people who lead it. And the lack of spiritual fruit in the Cretan churches suggests that there was an absence of Christ-like shepherds tending to the flock. Paul knows that the most effective way and the most God-honoring way for Titus to look after the churches is to look for leaders and to appoint elders in every town. And we can see that this is not some sort of improvisation or a change in plan. Look with me at verse 5. What does Paul say? As I directed you. It makes it clear, doesn't it, that this is the long term plan that Titus and Paul agree to. So, how can we spot who would be a suitable elder? And we sometimes uh, look for our leaders with the same goggles that the world does. Paul uh, Whiteley mentioned this yesterday in the induction service. Uh, We often look for someone successful, someone with an impressive uh, track record, someone with a a healthy LinkedIn page, uh, someone who has achieved lots, a high flyer, someone with a reputation for getting things done. Those things aren't necessarily sinful Uh, But those are not the benchmarks by which we look for someone to to make a good elder in church. Uh, The other thing that people often look for in the secular workplace is someone who is willing to sacrifice anything for the job. Are you able to to neglect everything else in order uh, to be here? Blood, sweat, tears. You are needed 25 hours a day, 8 days a week. This is... Unhealthy, isn't it? An unhealthy expectation and a pattern that leads to exhaustion and burnout and a wrong attitude towards work. And the other thing that we see in the secular workplace is this separation of home life and work life. We see this, especially in the world of politics, I believe, where people are happy to accept uh, someone's infidelities, their mismanagement, their lies, their, their dubious character, just because they'll win their party an election. Now, this is really different to the way in which the Bible talks about looking for leaders. There's no such criteria for someone to be a high flyer. We don't see Paul demanding an unreachable, unhealthy work life balance. And neither does he place work and home in different boxes. In fact, we see the very opposite. The biblical expectation is that the elder's home life is in keeping with everything else that they do. That the way that they lead at home will be a reflection of how they lead the church. The elder's life is evidence of his walk with the Lord. So it was vital that Titus ensured that each elder that he appointed must live up to these biblical qualifications. So what kind of people would he be looking for? Well, I'm going to split the criteria over two weeks. I was going to do it in one week, but there's just too much to unpack. Uh, So we're going to look at the negatives this week, as in what the elder should not be. And then next week, God willing, we'll look at the positives, uh, the things that an elder ought to be proactively doing. And such is the importance of this list as the other qualifications list that you'll find in the New Testament. Uh, My hope and my prayer is that you not only listen and meditate upon these truths this week, uh, and then uh, I hope you remember them. You don't just forget them, but you return to them regularly to see whether Nigel, Mark, Nathaniel, and myself are living up to these standards. Uh, So let's pray together before we look at these things. Heavenly Father, would you just help us? Uh, Would you give us understanding? Would you give us uh, clarity uh, as we look at these uh, truths as difficult as they are uh, to live up to and to, to see. And we pray that you would help us to understand what they mean and why you have given such clear guidance for us. Amen. With all these things, we can, we can only do them with God's grace, uh, by following the example of the Lord Jesus and the strengthening and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we see the first thing that Paul wants to see in the life of an elder. Is it that they will be a gifted teacher? Is it that they'll be a a good example? Is it that they long to do the work of an evangelist? All these things are good things, aren't they? But the first thing that Paul mentions is uh, there in verse 6, is that they are above reproach. Uh, Some translations uh, have it as blameless. Straight away, don't you? You feel the the weight of expectation. Does that mean uh, your elders have to be perfect and without sin? We know that cannot be because that would disqualify each and every one of us. Uh, this is more to do with uh, whether the candidate is, is free of controversy. Is he able to lead the church faithfully without being a distraction due to the way he does things? Uh, one writer puts it this way. They must be those who hold up, we hold up to the church and say, in essence, be like him without having to make any qualifications he's he's great but you're gonna to have to see past this uh, he's a really really gifted preacher but on occasion he can be a bit like this yeah i didn't want to make any specific uh things uh, that that could could take us away from the point uh do you follow what i'm saying uh, there are things that may distract us from the ministry uh if you Think of Samuel in the Old Testament, one of the great examples of a a biblical leader. He exemplifies someone who led without reproach. And before his death, uh, this is uh, what he says to the people. He makes a speech. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or who? Uh, "'from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? "'Testify against me, and I will restore it to you.'" Such was Samuel's standing in the community that no malicious rumour could begin to take root. So we must consider this. Does this elder have a good standing and reputation within the church and with outsiders? It's really unhelpful to appoint such a person who mud sticks to, uh, into leadership. For Christ's church to thrive, we need elders who are without the hint of scandal and controversy. So that's the first thing. And the next thing that Paul goes into is the home life of the elder. The church is often compared to the family, isn't it? We looked at that on, on Wednesday night if you were here. Uh, we refer to fellow Christians as brothers and sisters, and we share a heavenly father, don't we? And therefore we can see why the New Testament sees uh, the way that an elder manages his home as an indicator of how he will eventually manage a church. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So the first uh, Thing that Paul mentions here in verse 6. He says, it must be the husband of one wife. A number of uh, years ago, a, a fairly high-profile pastor in the States uh, was fired from his church uh, when it was discovered that he was having uh, an affair with one of the members of his church. And it wasn't too long before this pastor h- had married another woman and had begun a new church. And uh, he was widely criticized by, by many believers for doing so. Uh, when a friend of his, Uh, came out and made a statement in defense of him, saying, uh, my friend's personal experience, as bad as you want to make it out, has qualified him to preach the gospel. Uh, They were arguing that because God is a God of grace, then those that have fallen in the most dramatic ways will therefore be the most clear pictures of God's uh, grace for the congregation. Now, this is a clear misunderstanding, and misapplication of God's words. This kind of behavior, far from qualifying someone, in fact disqualifies someone from pastoral ministry. Now we need to be clear here that this doesn't mean that this individual can no longer be a a productive member of society, or that he can't find forgiveness, or uh, even be part of a church. We encourage uh, those who are truly repentant to be part of churches, but given the seriousness of his error, he must not be leading a church. Why is it that Paul sees this as such a serious thing? Well, it shows a fundamental under- misunderstanding of what the church is, who you are leading and caring for. The church is the bride of Christ. Uh, Jesus died on behalf of his bride and is perfecting her faithfully until the great marriage feast to come at the end of time. So if an elder is unfaithful to his wife, if he doesn't treat his marriage vows seriously, he is tarnishing this beautiful picture. How can we listen to anything he says if he doesn't take this seriously? If he cannot be trusted to be faithful to his wife, then it is difficult for, for us to see how we will be, how we'll be faithful to the church. His care and his respect for his wife ought to give us confidence that he will show care and respect to the church that he will lead. And the same goes for the second part of this verse. Uh, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now here is a, a tricky, much debated verse which lots of ink has been spilt over. So I decided it'd be a really good thing to preach on in my second week here. Uh, there, are, there are two ways of interpreting this verse. Uh, does Paul mean that the children of elders have to be believers, as it's translated here in the ESV? Or is it more helpful where some translations have faithful or obedient children? And if it is the case that they must be believers, then uh, I would have to resign And uh, every pastor would have to resign until their children became believers. Is that what the expectation is? Requiring saving faith from your child as a qualification gives the elder a personal responsibility for the faith of their child, which isn't in keeping with anything else that we read in scriptures. We know that we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone. It's God alone who can save. So what is helpful to do is to look at... uh, The whole of scripture to see how it fits in with uh, the the rest of the teaching that we see. And in 1 Timothy 3, which is the other list of qualifications that Paul gives uh, about eldership, says uh, this. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. So does the elder take his parental responsibilities seriously? Does he pray for his children? Does he command the respect of his children? Does he lead his family in reading the words? Does he point them to Christ in all that he does? Does he exercise discipline when they sin? Uh, the way in which an elder treats his wife and children are an insight into how he will treat the church. If a, if a father is cruel and harsh to his children and quick to discipline, what will that mean for the church? People are going to get hurt, aren't they? people are going to be treated badly. And the same is true on the other end of the spectrum. If he is overly indulgent and turns a blind eye to serious sin, then it's likely that the same thing will happen in the life of the church and immorality will begin to grow in the congregation. So all of these things are to be considered seriously when we look at the life of an elder. The next thing that Paul says is that an elder uh, must not be Arrogant, you see that in verse 7. An overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach. He says that a second time, doesn't he, in case you didn't get it the first. He must not be arrogant. Uh, the Christian faith does not allow for arrogance. No Christian has won their salvation themselves. We're all born with a sinful nature, aren't we? And yet through grace and mercy, uh, the Lord has granted us life in him, eternal life. And of course, uh, we must consider Christ himself, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Our Saviour is the one who left heaven, not in arrogance, not in haughtiness, not in anything like that. No, he left heaven in humility. This is the God-man who didn't see himself above the life of man, who washed the feet of the disciples on the night he was arrested and betrayed. So when we look for leaders, what are they like? Are they too important to give lifts to people, to stack chairs, to make cups of tea, to take interest in others? Or do they love to serve their brothers and sisters? As Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, and especially those who lead, you are not the answer to the world's problems. I'm glad that was a resounding thing in the, in the induction yesterday. Uh, you were under no pretense that I'm going to solve everything in Klidach. That was really helpful for me to hear and for you to hear too. Um, but all of us as leaders and all of us as Christians need to hear this. You are not the greatest thing since I spread and neither are you called to be. Do not be ashamed of your foolishness and weakness and find great joy in the fact that God Works in us and through us, despite our limitations and weaknesses. That is good news, isn't it? The next thing that um, Paul recommends to Titus is that they're not quick-tempered. Uh, one of the things that we could quickly uh, gloss over in a list like this is is that phrase "quick-tempered." Why is this so important? Uh, well, a, a short fuse is usually a, a revealer of something that is going on inside the heart. Of a person, uh, when we lose our tempers uh, because someone has cut in front of us at a roundabout, or has made us uh, spill a drink, or has made us late, we can try and justify our actions, can't we? Uh, we can say oh, that wasn't sin. I was, I was righteously angry. That is not how a person should drive. That is not how we behave. Uh, we can even blame it on our genetics, can't we, or our upbringing? I, I can't help it. This is just what my, my dad is like. This is just what my, my mother is like. She would always fly off the handle. Um, but uh, in actual fact, the, the heart of anger reveals something far deeper, doesn't it? I re- really recommend uh, a book to you, um, a book by uh, Christopher Ashe and Steve Midgley. It's called uh, The Heart of Anger. Um, they make a really strong case that the heart of ungodly anger is a desire to be God, Uh, We think that we know everything, that we deserve everything to go our way. And therefore, when things don't go as planned, uh, we believe people deserve our righteous wrath. And we don't know everything, do we? And we don't deserve all our wants and desires. And it is God and God alone who has the right to judge. And this is how Psalm 145 gloriously describes God. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's what God is like. And isn't that what we want from the people shepherding over us? Not someone who loses their rag when we make a mistake. Not someone who, who rages when we fail to listen. Not someone whose family are read the riot act when they don't live up to a husband's impossible standards. No, we want someone who is patient who is gracious, who is merciful, who is slow to anger. And not given to drunkenness. That's the next thing on the list. Now, if I'd preached this sermon uh, 40 or 50 years ago, uh, this point uh, could have just been read and we could have moved on. Um, uh, The influence of of the temperance movement within the church meant that most believers abstained from drinking and the elders uh, wouldn't touch a drop of alcohol in their lives. And uh, this attitude... Uh, although helpful at at many times, may have strayed into legalism at times. And there may have been stricter laws imposed than the Bible actually taught. Uh, But the pendulum, as it so often does, has dramatically swung the other way. And people are keen to explore the wonders of God's grace and what we can get away with. So the case is now that you don't often find a pastor who is completely teetotal. So what are we to make of this verse? How can we hold Elders to account. I think a number of things are important to note. What does it say about an elder's self control? If a pastor enjoys a glass of wine or enjoys a beer, uh, there's no biblical case against such a thing. But if there is a lack of self control, if one glass quickly becomes three or four, then we would seriously question whether this person was able to lead a church. Uh, We ought to consider the reasons why someone might drink. Is it because they enjoy the the taste of of wine or a good stout and can enjoy it in moderation? Or is it because they use alcohol as a means of escaping reality in order to lose control, uh, to drown sorrows? If that's the case, then there's something that needs to be addressed. As I've said, it's really difficult to make a strong biblical case for being teetotal. I can see why people would take that personal preference uh, and throughout history, we have seen good men fall on either side of the debates. Let me tell you about two examples. One's called John the Baptist and the other is called Jesus. John the Baptist was teetotal. Jesus was accused of being a wine bibber and a glutton. And there's something to be said for the fact that Jesus uh, turned water into wine, not wine into water. And we need to address this. Uh, Crete was a major centre for worshipping Dionysus, the god of alcohol and revelry. And so Paul knew it was important that the elders were distinct and different. And so it is with Wales. We may not give him a name, but I read this week that nearly half of men in Wales and over a third of women drink more than the government guidelines uh, each day. So, where is our comfort? Where is our confidence? Is it in the God who made us? Or are we like the world, trying to escape ourselves and and trying to find our problems solved through drink? If a pastor or an elder is doing those things, then it needs to be addressed. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be uh, dealt with. That's important for us to see. Uh, the, The next thing is that he is not violent. Uh, Violence can often go hand in hand with drunkenness, but not always. And it's important that the men that lead the church, like all Christians are called to be, are people of peace. Violence is is so dramatically different to what Christ was like. Uh, We see this in the final moments before the crucifixion as uh, Jesus is arrested. His disciples say, don't they, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. What does Jesus say? No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And at his trial and the crucifixion that follows, uh, the same peaceful and righteous attitude follows, doesn't it? As Christ was being taunted and tortured, he was able to cry out, wasn't he? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is what happens when someone has full confidence in the righteousness of God and ultimately the judgment of God. What does Paul say in Romans 12? If it possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Christ calls for us to be peaceful. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? That will be present in the life of all believers, all those who have been transformed by the gospel. And finally this morning, uh, look at the end of verse 7. An elder ought not to be those who are greedy for gain. Uh, our minds here are, are immediately drawn to, to financial gain. And yes, that's probably what Paul had in mind. Our elders should not be those who are doing uh, the, the job in order to, to satisfy their greed. Uh, the pursuit of, of earthly riches should be far from our minds as we live for Christ. Uh, but we can also think of other things that an elder uh, could be greedy to gain. Are they looking for respect and status and power and comfort and all that could be gained? Uh, These are all enticing and alluring and our desire for them will only grow if we have a small taste for it. So once again, we need to seek elders with pure motives from a heart that longs to serve Christ. So that's a lot to take in, isn't it? Uh, What can we do in response? How can we uh, respond to these things? Uh, firstly, pray. Uh, uh, pray that those who are leading in this church and other churches would be sustained as they lead. Uh, would you uh, pray uh, that everything that is done in the life of the elders here and the elders of, of the church worldwide would be done in order to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that uh, more people would be raised up like this. Um, we need uh, more uh, men who are uh, willing and to, to preach the word, who are able to, to um, live faithfully, and we need prayer. We need uh, people to, to be praying for these, these men. Uh, secondly, uh, we need to uphold these standards. Uh, the letter to Timothy uh, makes clear that we should not hastily lay hands on elders. And I'm so thankful that the process for bringing us here was one that was done with much deliberation and prayer but my hope is as it is for the elders uh, and the other elders in the church is that we would faithfully ensure that these standards are upheld uh, we need to return to these uh, promises we need to return to these um, uh, to these qualifications and if any of the members of this congregation feels that these um, that we as elders are falling below the standard then then talk to us uh, Come to us in a, in, a, in a peaceable manner and explain your concerns and ask for clarification. Uh, that is the biblical precedent for doing so. Uh, thirdly, uh, be pointed back to Christ. Uh, we as elders uh, will fall short of expectations, uh, but we are gladdened that there is one who never fall, fell short. Um, so our aim, as it should be in everything that we do, is to point you back to the Lord Jesus Christ. In everything we do, we don't... Aim to make it about us. We aim to make it about the Lord Jesus himself. And fourthly, uh, this is not just for elders. Uh, these are not just things that an elder should be seeking to do. Uh, each believer should be seeking to do this in their own lives. Um, these are all lovely, uh, attainable uh, things that every believer should be seeking to find in their, in their lives. We should all be wanting to be faithful in our marriages, uh, to have children who are obedient, um, for us to be uh, not arrogant and not quick-tempered, uh, to not be drunkard or or a violent uh, person looking for uh, for gain. Um, all of these things are to be to be sought in the life of the Christian. Um, in the book of James, it says, "Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach." will be judged with greater strictness. So we're not all called to be elders, but we are all called to live faithfully and to please God with our lives. Um, And as it says in in 1 Corinthians 5, and whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So yes, use this list to uh, look for in the life of your leaders, but aspire to please God in doing so, Through the Spirit's help, this is something that we should all uh, be, be praying for in our own lives. Would we be more like the Lord Jesus in everything that we do? And we can only do it in his help.